On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our I'm Thinking of Ending Things listener polls, find out what factions Brian and Katie are in, and preview Divergent. Well, welcome back to another episode of This Film is Lit, podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have a lot to get to, a lot of feedback, a lot of preview, a lot of, a lot of everything. So we're just going to get right into our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. We have three new patrons this week, all coming in at the $5 Hugo Award winning level, getting access to that bonus content, which includes most recently our Drop Dead Gorgeous review and discussion. So if you want to hear that, go check it out over on patreon.com slash this film is lit. Our new $5 patrons are Will Brackett, Kristen Tipping, and Matt Earn or Ernie? Earn, one of the two. <laughs> Not exactly sure. But thank you all very much for supporting us at the $5 level. Hope you enjoy all of that bonus content. And thank you for your support. And as always, our Academy Award winning patrons are Vic Dangerously, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Gratch, just scratch. Shelby just learned about Potus and changed her mind. No cryptid is off the table if flying fluffy potato aliens exist. That darn skag, V. Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much for continuing to support us. Have you ever seen a Potu? Yes. They're just little bird, little owls, right? They look like they look like Muppets. Yeah, they do look like Muppets. <laughs> They're very weird and very cute. Thank you all so very much for continuing to support us at the $15 level. We really appreciate it. Katie, let's see what people had to say about I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. The people had to say quite a bit. Quite a bit. Uh, so we'll get right into it. On Patreon, we had two votes for the book and two for the movie. This will be a recurring theme. Charlene said... It sounds really interesting, but not anything I'd be able to stick with beyond the length of maybe a Twilight Zone episode or a short story, and even then it might be too much for me, at least in this season of my life. Also, every time you mentioned the janitor, I kept picturing the janitor from Scrubs, which just put me in mind of a whole different tone of pseudo-surrealism. Yes, very different uh, version of the janitor, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Knife wrench. Anyways. Uh, Matilde said, I went with the book and I ended up with a lot more thoughts than I expected about both versions. I usually enjoy Kaufman's movies, but he is also a frustrating screenwriter. His movies are fun, original, and tight until the third act. Then they either fizzle out, adaptation, or devolve, being John Malkovich. He managed to carry his idea through in Eternal Sunshine. I should see if that's the case in his other more recent movies, because I feel like he accomplished it here as well. I liked a lot about this movie. The performances were great. David Thewlis and Tony Collette are great at being unhinged in different ways. And the editing and cinematography were on point for the themes. I particularly enjoyed how Lucy and Jake's dialogue was cut just so you feel like their lines overlap each other's a bit too much to be normal, but it makes sense once you know they're the same person just thinking. My main issue is that Kaufman is original, but really not subtle. The visual cues clues were effective, but way too obvious for me, and they almost felt like a caricature to me. 
especially during the dinner scenes. The overacting and hysteria at times ruins the overall topic and cheapens it. Kaufman is very good with the absurd, but I found it the wrong fit here. Basically, I would have loved the movie more if I hadn't read the book before. On its own, it's great. As an adaptation, it deviates the mood, the message, and the impact of the book too much to be successful. I happen to love literary books. When the vibe works for me, it's the kind of books that I will sit with, read, and read lines over and over again. This one hit me the right way. It was like a quiet tragedy and overall very well written. I only found it scary towards the very end, in the school. Before that, I just felt very connected to the narrator and to the story as a whole. I thought the girlfriend was actually more realized in the book. As much as she is too admirative of Jake, she's coming off like a very natural, genuine woman in her voice. I have to give credit to the author, and maybe to Jake if that's how he sees her. The line is blurry here. I loved how well that stream of consciousness was done in the book, how the thoughts keep popping or hopping around. An incredibly well done exploration of the mind, surprising for a first book. The slow unraveling and how depression and loneliness can creep up or seep through any conversation or moment felt realistic to me. I like that the girlfriend is not a fantasy so much as she is Jake, just an attempt at self-examination, more so than that in the movie. She started off as an imagined girlfriend, but she ends up very much being part of his psyche. It was a dialogue in his head, like a real train of thought can be for some people. I also enjoyed the dialogue interludes. They were like little breaths that I needed. Plus, they address a much-needed outside perspective on suicide and its aftermath. The incomprehension, the surprise, the sadness, etc. It opens up the story and gives the reader another angle to attack it. I even appreciated the four pages of What Are You Waiting For? I skipped them on my first read. On my second one, I stayed with them, and I don't know, they work and they gave me a good gut punch. TLDR, they're both great works, I just connected with the book more, and its style was a better service to the theme than Kaufman's. Interesting. What do you think about her her feelings on the book? Um, I mean... I mean, obviously it's... Maybe it was just more of, her, of Matilde's cup of tea than it was mine. Yeah. Um, I, I think the themes were different enough yeah. for me in the book and the movie to where like the stylistic differences didn't really bother me. Yeah, that's but I can see I where like if you prefer the themes the way that they're done in the book, then you would probably prefer how the book is doing things over the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I say I will slightly disagree with the uh, at least my interpretation of their movie or, you know, what I got from the film. Um, the one part where um, I like that the girlfriend is not a fantasy so much as she is Jake, just an attempt at self-examination more so than in the movie. I don't think I mean, maybe more so than in the movie. It's hard for me to argue with that because I didn't read the book, but I think that's very much what she is in the movie. Uh, and it feels very much that way in the film to me. Like I, I definitely felt like she was, yeah, she starts off as an imagined imaginary girlfriend, but she ends up being a part of his psyche. I think, and I, I think I tried to kind of get to some of that in the review about how she is literally voicing things that he thinks, but in a kind of from a different perspective, I think the movie actually did a pretty good job of having her be this sort of unique, but, um, but very much part of Jake's 
mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I yeah. I, I I guess that would be the only. And maybe it's not. It's not a major disagreement. I just I very that very much came across to me in the film that uh, that she is basically just a um. He's not creating a fantasy girlfriend. He's he's using her as an outlet for his a part of his like a part of his psyche psyche yeah yeah. and i think that goes kind of goes back to what i was saying when we touched on what i i was kind of thought thematically what the movie was doing with the a man foisting his Mm -hmm. his opinions his uh point of view onto um the women in the fiction that, that that in this instance it's jake foisting it onto to lucy in this fictional um fantasy that he has created um, but very much, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought, and then there was the other thing I actually really liked the other slight disagreement I had. And then yeah, obviously it's, you know, uh, but the dinner scene, the line or where Matilda was talking about the dinner scene and how the heightened mm-hmm. way over the top kind of reactions and stuff didn't work for her. I really liked that stuff. I yeah. thought it really brought light to a, not brought light, but it really, um, was effective at evoking a feeling of that kind of interaction yes. at that kind of dinner. Yes. With while clearly being way over the top. Right. Yeah. It's exaggerated, but it definitely feels like emotionally resonant yes. to being in that kind of awkward situation. Yes. And so turning all of the awkward laughter and the way and all of that stuff way up in that situation, I actually thought worked really well to really evoke the feeling of being in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, I think you could do it without turning it up to 11, but I thought I, for whatever reason that scene I thought really worked, even though it was kind of dialed way up to absurdity. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, again, without having read the book, I, I can't really compare those two, but I, I, I did. I don't know. I really liked a lot of, uh, and I haven't seen any of his other films, so I can't compare them to that either and see, you know, how, he, how the other films that he's done, which a lot of people talked about, um, his earlier movies, mm-hmm. he didn't direct a lot of them. He just wrote yeah. them, which I was unaware of. But uh, anyways, we'll get into some of that here in a yeah. minute. Uh, over on Facebook, we had one vote for the book and one for the movie. Um, Greg said, I haven't read the book, so I'll abstain from voting on the book versus the movie question. But I will say I didn't love the movie, and I don't think it compares favorably to Kaufman's earlier efforts. I very much agree with what you guys said about surrealism being best in small doses in the prequel episode. I've always felt like, in general, it works much better in artistic formats that don't have to hold your attention for too long, such as paintings and short stories, and it requires a very skilled artist to sustain it as an expressive mode over the course of a novel or a feature-length film. I'm not sure if Kaufman is quite skilled enough as a visual filmmaker to pull it off. One thing you didn't mention about his earlier movies is that he only wrote and didn't direct them. I love Adaptation, being John Malkovich, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which are similarly chock full of surreal elements, but I think one of the biggest reasons those movies work so well is that they were collaborations by Kaufman with Spike Jones and Michael Gondry. Oh, Michelle, I guess. Yeah, Michelle. Michelle Gondry, um, who are really both who are both really visually imaginative directors who know how to create imagery that's trippy but still manages to convey ideas coherently, and thus cuts through mm. some of the inherent pretentiousness of Kaufman's style. 
Kaufman's visuals I find a lot less interesting, and in most cases a bit too plain to prevent the preventious framing to prevent the pretentious framing of his ideas from starting to grate on me by the end of a two hour runtime. Okay, I just real quick, I'm gonna jump in here. This is a very mm-hmm. long comment, and I'm really glad you sent all this, Greg. But I, I disagree. I really thought the visual style of this film kind of worked perfectly for what the movie was doing. Mm-hmm. Um again. Just to clarify, I have not seen those earlier movies other than Eternal Sunshine parts of it, I, I, like clips. I haven't seen the whole, but I've seen like scenes from it, um, but I've not seen the whole movie. Uh, but I, I thought his sort of, again, his his plainer style in this movie, I thought worked great. I thought it 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 heightened the absurdity. I think if the if the visual style were more interesting or more uh, kooky. Yeah, or, or or just more inventive or more ridiculous or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it would have, I don't want to say it would have taken away from what the movie was doing, but I, I definitely think the, the simplistic sort of slow, because there's a lot of lingering shots, there's a lot of slow pans, there's a lot of... Um, center-framed stuff where we're just sitting on a, on a character... Um, but I thought that really heightened the moments of of I think that that allowed the 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 fucked up editing, the intentionally fucked up editing and the intentional uh, other things they were doing in the edit and in the dialogue and stuff to come across. I think if we had a whole a, a, an incredibly visually inventive uh, cinematography style and and the shots were like really over the top and re- and and I'm not saying they were like really over the top but it was more inventive than what the movie was doing. I think that would have maybe been too much. Like I think that might have overwhelmed mm-hmm. the subtlety of what the film is doing with the dialogue and with the editing. Mm-hmm. And so having it shot maybe like a more kind of boring traditional. And I think the other thing, it's kind of shot like a more boring traditional horror film to some extent. Yeah, well, I I was thinking, too, like, that one of the other things about this movie is that it is riding a line on horror. Yeah. And so I think using the style that, because it does at times evoke some, like, um, what's his name? Uh, The guy who did The Witch and stuff. Is it David? uh, Oh, no, because I always think The Witch is Ari Aster. It's not. Yes. It's not not David Lowry, is it? No, David, because David Lowry is. It might be David Lowry, because I always confuse the witch guy with the um, the guy who did the Green Knight, who did Ghost Story, mm-hmm. and I and I, I think that's David Lowry. I can never remember which one's which. Yeah, David Lowry did a Ghost Story in the Green Knight, which is not a far off comparison either. I don't think, but Robert Eggers. It reminded me more of so of of like some of Robert Eggers' films. Not not all of them necessarily. I haven't seen the Northman. But there, I think that style again, because it is I, the movie is kind of pretending to be a horror film, and not yeah. even pretending, kind of just is like a thriller and a horror film. I think the very subdued nature of the way it's shot amplifies that. At least it did for me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your mileage may vary, but um, Greg went on to say, "What is the point of this movie? That lonely people often project their fantasies onto strangers." That people often second-guess their life choices. That memories and one's grip on reality change as our lives pass. That men sometimes have romantic main character syndrome and treat women as supporting players in their lives rather than full partners. Yes, all of those things and more things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I've seen movies that make all those points in ways I find more coherent and satisfying mm. without the self-indulgent fantastic asides, uh, including some of Kaufman's own work. Kate Winslet's character and it has an impassioned speech at the end of Eternal Sunshine, which I found, which I at least found to be a much more direct and effective articulation of the feminist point this movie could be taken to be making. I haven't seen that, so I, I I'll take your word for it that that could be the case, but um. But yeah, I, I I think that is definitely it is saying all of those things. Um, and I I don't know if I I don't I don't think I found anything in this movie particularly self-indulgent, fantastic asides. I'm trying to think of what scene I would even categorize as that. Anyways, I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting pers- you know, read of the film. Um, okay, Greg went on to say I'm also not sure the themes of this movie really lend themselves well to a surrealist style. I think surrealism is really effective at conveying raw emotions that don't really add up rationally, which is one reason it works well in horror movies, comedies, and romances. Things don't need to add up for a movie to be effective at scaring you, making you laugh, or conveying romantic giddiness. But thrillers, the genre which this movie seems to take its cues from, are a a plot-driven genre that generally works most effectively when the details add up, and social critiques about issues like gender dynamics are rational constructs. To me, at least, the plot details don't come together here. If Lucy is a romantic fantasy Jake has conjured up, why is she given such a prominent internal monologue that repeatedly expresses such strong doubts about him and their relationship? Okay. So I, I think there's a couple things going on here. We didn't discuss this in the movie, and I had a note about it. Or I didn't have a note about it, but I meant to bring it up. Why is she even such a prominent internal monologue that repeatedly expresses such strong doubts about him and their relationship? That is Jake's internal monologue. Yes. The recurring doubts. So the title, and, and maybe they'll, maybe Greg will get to this. Um, oh, there's a line about it later, but I... Okay, I'll get to this in just a second because they do seem to address it here in just a few sentences. Um, her her strong internal monologue is Jake, and there's a deep sadness to the fact that even in this fantasy, Jake's fantasy love interest yeah. doesn't want to be with yes. him. Yes, this this fantasy love interest that he's completely conjured out of nothing. Yes, for himself, even even that in his fantasy, doesn't want him. He can't imagine a yeah. person wanting to be with him. Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of and and then more specifically, there's you. She, he touches on a line here in a minute that I I didn't want to talk about or didn't mention in the episode specifically how this tied in. Uh, but I wanted to mention, and this will be a good point, so continue. Okay. Um, why is contemplating dumping him literally the first piece of that monologue we hear? Why does she repeatedly argue with him? I also thought their interactions came off as a painfully real representation of a flawed relationship, and I'd think a lonely guy conjuring up a fantasy romance would come up with a more idealized version of yes, one. Yes, and again, that, that's what we just were addressing. Yes. And then continue. Um, one could certainly argue things are good there. One could certainly argue there are good reasons for this stuff. Maybe Lucy saying, I'm thinking of ending things, is an expression of subconscious self-loathing by the person dreaming of the fantasy, and it certainly seems to be hinting at the double meaning of suicide, given the mentions that topic gets in the book and the implied fate of the janitor. Okay. Yes, that is exactly the point I wanted to make. That is, Mm -hmm. the title of the movie is a double meaning. We didn't really touch on this directly. We kind of did, but... Not not specifically. And 
she it, it, I think the movie's brilliant when you think back on it even more and I've, I've thought back on it since watching it even more the I'm thinking of ending things she she constantly throughout the movie when she voices that thought she she always draws attention to the fact that it's like this intrusive thought that she has mm-hmm. and she goes there's that thought and again she does the same thing in the book yes she's like there's that thought again and that is Jake's thought he, in this fantasy that is Jake's suicidal thoughts yeah breaching into this yeah. and becoming yes. applicable to the situation that she is in and so there's like this double play there that I think is really fascinating and I I I think it's missable. Like, I think you can watch the movie and get a lot out of it without really catching that. And again, I, we didn't talk about the main episode because, um, again, we were had a million other things to talk about, but, uh, but also because it just wasn't, it, it really cemented into my brain over the course of the last week since we've watched this movie, um, how brilliant that is. And I was like, uh, and it really like my, all the gears kind of clicked into place that, and and I think I I knew that was going, that was there. I was like, I'm thinking of it. Like it's, it's like him and her, but I didn't realize how brilliantly the movie literally has this act as an intrusive thought and how directly it ties it to the fact that this is Jake's intrusive thoughts barging into her thoughts and thus influencing the course of this whole story and ultimately his life and how it ends. Um, so yeah um okay uh so greg then went on to say but for me the movie didn't quite do the work to establish that so i ended up still asking the questions instead brian was also spot on about the last 20 minutes being where the movie is going to go off the rails for some people the comparison to get out also occurred to me over the first hour or so of the movie as it was similar not just in setup but right down to some specific motifs and tropes the long tense car ride into the countryside by the person going home and the out of their element city dweller the undercurrent of tension in the conversations between the couple dead animals and the potential symbolic significance thereof a sense of mounting creepiness once they arrive at the house and meet the family the basement the main character is asked not to go down into. But for me at least, the third act of that movie did so much more with that build-up than the third act that this one did. Not just in being more dramatically satisfying, but also in making an interesting, thought-provoking statement about a major social issue. I honestly felt like that movie did more to make me think about racism than this one did to make me think about sexism, because it was less muddled, no less smart, but far more pointed. The ending of this movie just felt like Kaufman indulging himself in some dorm room navel gazing, and as a result, he lost the thread for me a bit. Okay, so I can see why I see where you're coming from, and I I, I love Get Out. I think it's a fantastic film. If you haven't, we've done a bonus episode of it on over on uh, Patreon. You can give us five bucks and you can listen to it. Um, I love Get Out, and I love the ending. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't remember all the details. Um, and I don't disagree that that I think that movie's ending is much more dramatically satisfying and digestible. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I, I, I could make an argument that it's, quote unquote, better in the sense that from a very specific uh, if I'm if I'm drawing a target in a very specific place, I would say that ending is better in the sense that it I think it's it's more digestible by more people like i think more people who watch that movie will enjoy it and get an interesting message out of it than would watch this film and get an interesting message out of it i think a lot of people would watch this movie and be bored and then turn it off or just be like what the fuck was that as evidenced by some of the reviews and stuff 
That being said, I still think the ending of this one is very brilliant in its own way. Uh, it's it's very deeply kind of nihilistic, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of Coffin's films are, from what I understand. Um, but I do think that it, I do think it has a point that pays off dramatically very well, and I do think that. Um, let's see. I was trying to find the other. Uh, the, 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 the third act of this one did not also more to make me think about racism this one I didn't think about sexism because it was less metal no less smart performer pointed um, yeah again I don't disagree that it, with all of those critiques necessarily but I enjoyed the muddiness of the end of this film and the fact that it doesn't kind of tie up as neatly mm-hmm. at, at least as like conceptually and like thematically neatly as as uh get out does i think get out it presents interesting questions and then gives you kind of con- con- concrete and like succinct answers at the end about like what to think about those things yeah. this movie i think presents you with similar kinds of questions about different topics and then doesn't really give you a satisfying resolution i will say that i don't mind it in this case because i think the questions and the way it raises them are really interesting and i don't think it I think it wants you to think about what it's presenting about um, about mental health, about suicide, about um, depression, about the fantasies we create in our own lives, about is anything that we create really our own? Or are we just taking parts and pieces from other people? Is 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 that does that make the the fantasies that create any less real if even if they are just pieces of the things that we've uh, you know pulled from other media and stuff our whole lives what does it mean to 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 lead a life that is meaningful because you know obviously Jake does not think that his life is meaningful and i think Charlie Kaufman sees a lot of himself and Jake throughout this movie at different times at least that's kind of how it feels like to me again i i think it was kind of a deeply introspective film for him to write i do think that and contrasting this with like 2001, I think the thing where 2001 failed for me specifically was that I I thought the questions were kind of boring and and not particularly like I thought those questions that it was raising were more muddled and more less mm-hmm. interesting to me because there are questions that are kind of broader, I guess, in a way that more surface level, more, not, maybe not more surface level, but they're just broader and like you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, how do humans evolve? What is the next step in human evolution? Uh, you know, obviously, through all the violence that we go through, we have to get to a point where we overcome that violent urge, and then we can truly ascend and become. You know, like sure, that stuff's all fine, but it's it's almost too broad and too like yeah. humanity level for me to truly like care that right. much about to, like sink my teeth yes into whereas it. this one is is a personal a deeply personal deeply emotional questions yes. that it's raising yeah um that that feel like they apply to interpersonal relationships and people individually as opposed to like humanity on this broad scale which is kind of where 2001 lost me a little bit um and that's i think why again even though the ending is kind of muddy is kind of doesn't have the same kind of uh, satisfying resolution and point that get out does. I still think it it's just as brilliant, but in a, in a mm-hmm. different kind of maybe more nihilistic way. Right. Well, and I, to kind of tack on to your point there, I think the problem for me with comparing the ending of those two movies, I think compare like the first two thirds. Yeah. Fantastic great comparison but for me the problem with comparing the endings is that get out 
very clearly sets out to with a specific message and it sets out to make you think about the racism in the story. Whereas I'm thinking of ending things. I don't think is setting out to make you think about like the sexism or the misogyny in the story. I think that's one thing that you could think about within it. I think that's one question that's being asked and one theme that's being explored, but I don't think that's the explicit point. No. So I'm, so I'm not surprised that you would not be thinking about it at the end of the movie, the same way you're thinking about racism at the end of get out. Yes. I also watched a few other reviews of this movie in the intervening week since we did our episode and not a single other person that I've seen has mentioned my interpretation of this movie so far. Wow. I'm not saying that there aren't plenty. I'm, it seems way <laughs> too obvious for that not to be. But I, everybody talks about this, like kind of the reviews I've seen. And to be fair, they're shorter reviews. They're not spending an hour and a half talking about this movie or whatever. Um, kind of gets more into the nuts and bolts and like what it all means and how it actually like like mm-hmm. what actually happened and kind of explains the whole idea of oh it was oh it's this it's very brilliant because you see Jake is the is both of these characters and the, and you know kind of explains like. The mechanics. The mechanics of yeah. what's happening in the story, which is interesting and fascinating in its own right. Um, and, and did get into some theme stuff, but it was mostly... The, the, I think what most people did get out of this movie, it's from what I... Again, what I've just read and seen, is more in line with what you got out of the book, which is um, addressing and, and talking about, like, depression and mental yeah. health and that sort of thing because of where the story ends up. Um, which, to me, was, like, the least... Not least interesting. It was still interesting, but it... I'll say least interesting, sure. But it was, like, thematically <laughs> less interesting to me than what I saw as, again, kind of a confrontation of, um, yeah, the the main character syndrome of men in, in both in relationships and in film and in, in writing mm-hmm. uh, literature or, or film or whatever. Um, and I thought that was super fascinating. And very clearly, I thought felt like the part of the point to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think I think you are right that that I also get out is very much a horror film with a with a <laughs> a message about racism. Yes. And so it, it kind of follows that natural arc. This movie wants you to think it's a horror film for the first hour and a half. And then it's like, surprise, that's not what this is. Yeah. For the last half an hour, the twist in Get Out is all the normal. There are tons of crazy twists in Get Out, but those twists are all in service of it being a horror film. They're like, oh, what? They're they're putting the brains of black people in white. Like that, like yeah. there's these crazy twists, but those twists are all like Twilight Zone twists of like, this is still a thriller horror movie. The twists in this one is like, oh, this isn't a horror movie. This is something else entirely. This is a deep, dark, weird, sad fantasy of a dying man or of a of a of a suicidal man. And then the last 30 minutes is literally, which I think we'll get into this at some point from some other people. The last 20 minutes of this movie is literally, and I said this in the episode, the the dying moments of a of a dude's brain just fi- like the last like 15, the, the pig. And yeah. the and the the speech and the musical number, all of that is this man's brain dying, and so it's just firing nonsense basically. And so yeah, I, they're just different in that regard, and I think it's tough to kind of compare them. And I can see again, I can see liking Get Out more as a more satisfying experience, but I thought there was 
almost more to chew on in this movie because I think it touches on more things than Get Out does. While Get Out is razor focused on its message and crushes it, this movie is like layers of different messages mm-hmm. that you kind of have to figure out what you want to peel back and look at. So, yeah. Okay, so Greg's last little note here was, um, P.S., I noticed that in Jake's childhood bedroom, there's a collection of Pauline Kael essays, and so I thought Lucy's monologue um, about a woman under the influence might be taken from her review of that movie. I looked it up, and indeed it is. I did read that afterwards, that mm-hmm. that is from, yeah, her, uh, which I, she's a very famous critic, so, yeah. Um, our, uh, another comment we had on Facebook was from Warren. Uh, Warren said, so I didn't think I was going to comment this week as I hadn't read the book or watched the film, but after listening to the episode, I had to check out the film as it sounded stylistically similar to a film I made recently that I'm currently trying to get released. Without your episode, I would have been too lost for most of the movie. I really wouldn't have got it until the ballet scene. When that happened, I began to have an interpretation of the film. To me, the story is about a guy rationalizing why a girl broke up with him and then blaming his failures to achieve anything great in his eyes because of her leaving him. It's a go-to narrative for a lot of young filmmakers. The Room is a prime example of this type of story. I I just want to voice this now because I'm not sure... Um, I assume when he says the story is about a guy rationalizing why a girl broke up with them. Uh, okay. No, he's saying within the story, not yeah. Charlie Kaufman. Because then when he went on to cite the room, I, I, it's a little bit different because in the room, not only is that the story of the movie, but that it feels very clear that that's the reason Tommy Wiseau wrote it is that some girl cheated on him and he got very <laughs> mad about it. I don't think that's what happened in this movie. It's also not my interpretation of the film. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Obviously, if that's what you got and it works for you, awesome. Um, I have a, I, my interpretation is slightly different because I do, they don't I, they were never in a relationship. Jake and this girl, I yeah, think that in was the not movie, the vibe I got. They were never in a relationship. They never broke up. He literally never dated her. Yeah, he, he just saw, saw her, her at once. a bar, and um, it's just the fantasy he's created because it's all he has. His life, he has nobody. He has nothing. He's a he's a he's a deeply lonely person. Uh, and this is all built upon layers and layers of regret and remorse for what could have been not like anger or resentment for I don't think I didn't get anger or resentment for like somebody mm-hmm. the room all about anger and resentment <laughs> that man hates the woman who broke up with them and broke his heart uh lisa and uh in this movie, I do not get that vibe i don't I think jake is is more um just deeply lonely. Uh, and has never really doesn't even have anyone to be angry at really he's just angry at and i think that's ultimately why he's angry at himself which is why he kills himself in the ballet scene (laughs) but and then in real life but um okay so uh the room is a prime example of this type of story perfect man gets dumped by the love of his life and she's a monster Only this film flips it as the guy being very flawed and the girl being almost a blank slate as he didn't get to know her well enough before the relationship ended. As the events are all a fantasy in the janitor's mind, they play with the dream logic or fantasy in interesting ways, too. The inconsistencies at the family dinner, I think, were showing that he couldn't decide when we would have taken her to meet them. So he kept changing his mind as his mind wouldn't settle. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. It's definitely and we talked a little bit about in the episode that the, the changes are just him either forgetting what he yeah. originally or like revising or his revising story as, as he, he went, goes yeah. and using different things at different times. Uh, yeah, revising. Yeah, I think that's for sure what's yeah. going on there. 
Um, I think the ice cream shop was supposed to make him feel better, too. The pretty girls that he fancied wound up doing simple jobs like him, Hmm. though it doesn't make him feel better like he intended. His low self-esteem damaging the fantasy at, at every turn and being the real enemy, which he won't admit to himself. The closest is the ballet where the cool version of him and the janitor version fight, where the janitor kills him and the girl leaves. Uh, kind of killed his confidence. Though I feel like the film is putting the onus on him. Yeah. Not on the girl for not achieving his goals. I would agree with that because I, yeah. I, I, again, my interpretation is just slightly different or fairly different than what you're kind of getting here. But I, I do agree with that line for sure that, uh, yeah, he, the movie is putting it on is the the character sees the fault in himself. Not he, this is not a f- fantasy of anger or, resentment for lucy it doesn't feel no, like to I, no i don't think so it, which, i which, think it's yeah. an i think it's just an attempt to cope yes yeah i really dug how out there this film was with its dream style it's very similar to my own dreams the only other film i've seen catch dreams like this is takashi's 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 by uh takashi kitano which i'd recommend if you liked this um and my own film dead name when it comes out <laughs> amazing (laughs) selfless plug or shameless plug (laughs) we love it yeah though both films focus on different subject matter and have a bit more action to them something i noticed and i'm not sure if it's the same bit you saw you mentioned some lines going irish at one point uh yeah the irish accent that she had briefly i'm not sure if this is the same bit for about uh, but about one hour 30 Thick six minutes in when the woman says like two lines in a close-up i swear they changed the actress to the woman from the rom-com that the janitor watched might be why you heard a line differently there's a few other weird little moments like this too yes uh this is that's true by the way i don't know why i didn't write a note of that because i absolutely noticed that during the movie i mm-hmm. just didn't write it down for some reason she does turn into the um like the actress from that? The actress from the the, the rom-com for a, a few lines. I can't remember if those are the Irish lines you're talking about or not. Um, and then also, at the and somebody else may mention this, I don't know. The uh, we, we talked about maybe the girls in the ice cream shop where they are those all those girls. You mm-hmm. see them all in the beginning of the movie. It's, okay, it's, that's it's, what I yes, thought. It is those two blonde girls yeah. who are uh, like kind of laughing at him and making fun of him at the yeah, locker. Yeah, yeah. And then there's one girl who's walking down the hallway who like kind of smiles at him a little bit. And that's the brunette girl yeah. who comes in later. So those characters were all from the, um, from the high school that he right. worked at. And, and, and so my interpretation of that scene, I think still works, but it is definitely, I don't think as, as, uh, backed by what is actually yeah. happening in the movie um, as what you were supported saying. Supported by the scene. text. Yes. Not as supported by the text. <laughs> I still think it's, it's a perfectly valid interpretation yes. of that scene, but yeah. it's not, not textually support or I don't want to say it's not textually supported, but what you were saying about that scene with it being the girls from the high school and that's why he's embarrassed. And that's why those characters are there is, I think that is what's going mm-hmm. on, but yeah. But I mean, it, I also, I think you could also still do that with my interpretation could, could still work on that. We know he's done this fantasy a million times because we see all the ice cream thrown away. Right. Still could be those girls were earlier iterations that he, yes. which adds another layer of darkness and weirdness because they're high schoolers and he's like, but whatever. Um, whereas the Lucy is, you know, somebody from his younger life. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. I mean, and you could read all three of the girls in the ice cream shop as like archetypal. Yeah. 
like trope kind of characters too right you have like the blonde mean girls and the uh, sympathetic brunette yeah so they could also be like you could read them as amalgamations of lots of girls that he's seen and known over the years Uh, okay um so warren went on to say the one that drove me mad was the freeze framing or pausing during the start of the ballet i was starting to think the signal from the tv was messing up and it was really taking me out also if that's yeah, I think there's a typo here or something. Yeah. Um, I think they're saying, also, is that the only point in the film with a musical score? Like, question, like just uh, asking us that. And I don't re- I don't think so. I think there's a score throughout a lot of... I don't remember. No, there's quite, I mean, the movie much. opens with a score. Uh, yeah, I guess. For yeah. sure. Um, I put it under your... Fi- I think I put it under your final verdict in the episode. But So, yeah, there is a score at other parts in the film, for sure. So that's not the only point. Okay. Overall, it's a very creative film, but I'm not sure it's a film I'd revisit. I think surreal films have certain flavors to them that I only like in either small doses or from certain chefs. David Lynch and Takashi okay. Mike um, both handle surrealist styles that are more my cups of tea, or maybe it's just the subject matter involved. Either way, I think the film seems like a more enjoyable way to consume this type of media. So I'll give it to the movie. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. No, it was a, it was a good comment or comment and uh, enjoyed discussing it. Our next comment, last comment on Facebook was from Laura. Uh, Laura said, I was pretty excited to hear that you guys were going to review this. I saw the trailer when it came out and was very intrigued as I was slightly familiar with Kaufman and tend to like weird, surreal things sometimes. I saw it without knowing anything about it and thought it was all right. My boyfriend also happened to have the book and I started to read the first chapter or so, but never really got past that. I decided to try and read it again for your review and I enjoyed it. I can definitely see why Kaufman was chosen to adapt this. It's the subtle inconsistencies I found very interesting in the book, which gives it that dreamlike vibe. I only watched about 30 minutes of the movie again, and I could already see how faithful of an adaptation it is, with Lucy basically reading off the first few lines of the book. I would say I agree with the final verdict that the movie is better for adding the visual element, and I agree with Katie that the repeated what-are-you-waiting-for line felt a little eye-rolly. Yeah, it's a, that one's definitely get mixed reviews. It mixed sure. reviews. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, over on Twitter, we had two votes for the book, two for the movie, and two listeners who couldn't decide. Uh, April Edmansky said, I think both the film and the book are great. The book just goes more thriller while the film, while the movie adds whimsy. I was legit scared reading the book, but couldn't put it down. Then when we watched the movie, I got way too high on pot, so that kind of ruined the experience. Yeah, I, that's not a, yeah, this is not a high say, movie. Um, no. This would not be a good one to Oof, watch high. Not at all. That would not <laughs> be good. Very bad idea. Our other comment here was from Kelly Napier. Um, Kelly said, my biggest consideration into which one I preferred was the ending. I loved the ending of the book with the tension ratcheting up while she's being pursued through the school, not realizing she can't escape her unseen pursuer because it's actually her, him, them. The movie ending was just weird. I didn't like the dream ballet. I also don't like it in the musical Oklahoma either. And the pig stuff just confused me. Then he's getting a Nobel Prize. It was trying too hard to be weird on purpose. So my vote is the book. This is, this is what I was talking about earlier. Um, it's it's 
I, I would disagree that it's trying too hard to be weird on purpose. It's trying just hard enough to be as weird as it needs to be in this moment to make the point it's trying to make, uh, which is, again, we are seeing the dying moments of a man. And it's also about and that's why it's also crazy. The last from the pig stuff onward. The reason that's all just complete nonsense is because he's literally freezing to death uh, and his brain is going through the process of dying. Um, and so he's getting all these kind of crazy hallucinations and stuff um, that are just completely chaotic, even more so than the rest of the film, even more dreamlike and nightmarish and weird than the rest of the film. Um, and, and, and the movie is making a big point at the end by the, because we keep, because we get the, the whole speech from uh, a beautiful mind and we get the whole music number, the, both the ballet, num the ballet from um, Oklahoma and then the whole music number from Oklahoma at the end. Um, and so much throughout the movie, it's really just putting a pin on the idea of that this man's life, his, his whole life is other things, is other, is other fantasies. He mm -hmm. is he, like, you would hope that when you're dying, your last thoughts will be of your loved ones, your friends, your family. This guy's thoughts are of made up loved ones. I guess his parents are there, but made up loved ones for the most part and made up friends and family. And then it's thrown into this chaotic and you might think of, you know, your wedding day. You might think of you know, the birth of children if you had children, whatever, like those big moments. You would hope that that's kind of what. But his, for him, it's this scene from A Beautiful Mind yeah. and this song from Oklahoma. And it makes it even more deeply sad. But it's also kind of glorious. It's still I don't know. It's I I love it. But anyways, <laughs> Our last comment on Twitter was from Shelby's in her capybara era. Uh, Shelby said, I really liked the film. The fake Robert Zemeckis movie really got me, and I enjoyed your discussion in the episode. The part with the guy in the window from the book reminded me of Gerald's Game, among other stories. I'm just saying, Netflix made that movie too. If Jake was going to rip something else off for this movie, they could have done That's it. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked about Gerald's Game. That's another uh, Mike. Uh, whatever his name is, the guy who did um, Midnight Mass and uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Sleep, and I can't remember his name now, uh, but a prolific horror director currently. Um, and uh, that movie we talked about is another King adaptation, I believe. Yes. Uh, and apparently there's some creepy dude in a window or something in that. I don't, I have, again, I, I have not read it. I know the so. premise of that. I know yeah, the premise. Yeah, I know what the premise is. Great, great wacky premise, but I don't know <laughs> what happens in it. So, uh, but if, if the part with the guy in the window reminds you of that, I maybe won't watch it. That sounds horrifying. All right. On Instagram, we had four votes for the book and five for the movie. Madden Coolidge said, neither. It wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> Fair. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Again, I, I understand it if this is not a person's cup yes, of tea. Totally. I would never try to convince somebody totally. they should like this movie. I'd be happy to talk with somebody about this movie for hours and see if I could get them to like it. But if I totally get why some people are just like, no. <laughs> uh, and our other comment was from Mr. Lee Likes Books. Uh, who said, I thought the changes with how his family was portrayed really added to the story, but all the other changes in the movie drove me crazy. My husband really had no idea what was going on by the time it was over. I had to explain everything since I had read the book. 
Ultimately, I didn't think the book was that special. I enjoyed reading it, but I think the experience was enjoyable because of the twisted way the story was presented, not because the story stands well on its own. Once the mystery is settled, it felt more hopeless and depressing than anything, which I guess can be valuable, but it's not presented in a way that feels like that's the intention. I really felt like if it was written in a more linear way, it would have been predictable. So I had to do some thinking for a few days after I finished to decide what makes a good book. If the experience can make it good, if the story isn't. I think it can, but I, I think it can. I think yeah. I think a, a very simple story told in creatively, told, told really well, and yeah. creatively is is a very interesting thing in its own way. Um, and I think again, having not read the book, I think. Uh, if this movie were done in a more straightforward way, I I think it would have, I don't think it would have been nearly as interesting <laughs> as it was. <laughs> um, but I I think there's I think there's, regardless of how it's told, I think, well I don't, I don't want to say regardless of how it's told because the way that this, the movie tells the story is what makes, is what pulls all of the thematic stuff to the forefront and is mm -hmm. what like lets you chew on all the thematic stuff. Whereas if it was like we were just watching this got like a, a more like straightforward version of this uh where we're like watching the janitor be miserable and then kill himself i i don't think that does anything thematically so i think uh, yeah. by necessity or not by necessity i think at their very core yes any story um the experience of reading it and how it's told is what makes it good i think that's literally mm -hmm. the point of writing that's like what storytelling is <laughs> but yeah all right, so our winner this week for the listener polls was The Movie by a Hair, with 10 votes to the book's nine, um, plus our two listeners who couldn't decide. More votes for the book, honestly, because I, I, one, I didn't know it was a book, and then two, I'm surprised. So we had so many comments from people who read it, which I thought yeah. was fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. Because, it, you know, it's not like, you know. Yeah, I, I really wasn't sure how this one was going to go. Because I figured more people would have seen the movie yeah. than read the book. But I also figured that the movie wouldn't be a lot of people's cup of right, tea. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I guess this makes about as much sense as anything. There you go. All right. Thank you all very much for your feedback. We love it. We really appreciate it. Katie, we don't have a learning thing segment this week, but we're getting into Divergent. So we're going to do what we did for... Something maybe Harry Potter. I think we did this for Harry Potter ages ago. We're gonna figure out what divergent faction we belong to. <laughs> no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, so you have two quizzes have here. Two Are we taking here. both of um, these? We don't have to. Well, no, we can. We can. I'm just They're wondering. both pretty short. Okay, I wasn't sure. Um, so I found one from uh, epicreads.com, and they have labeled this the official quiz. I don't know if it's actually official. Yeah, I don't know. But they're calling it the take the official quiz to find out which divergent faction you belong in. What is in. Epic Reads? Is it like a publisher or something? Could um, It's like a, I mean, it, I think it's mainly like a blog, like a book blog okay. site. Yeah, this is interesting. I wasn't, it says new releases coming soon. It might have something to do with Maybe publishing. it's tied to a publisher or something. It might be. I honestly but, don't know. Okay. Anyways, so I, my point was being that if it were somehow tied to a publisher or something, it could be an like quote unquote official one, as opposed to just like somebody's blog or something. Right. Know? Okay, so we're gonna do this quiz. I hope we'll be in the same order, probably. Right? <laughs> Did you? Are you on it? Yes. 
Uh, yeah, Did I hope it's it? in the same order. Okay, let, let, let's start. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, I'll read the questions. Yeah, as well, I was going to find out. If you read it, yeah, and then okay. we'll see if they're the, same, if they're in the same order. When you are faced yes, with a difficult order. problem, you react by uh, making a list of pros and cons and then choose the option that the evidence best supports, creating a work of art that expresses your feelings about the situation, doing whatever will be the best thing for the greatest number of people, debating the issue with your friends, or facing it head on. Boy, these are one of those where it's very it's obvious. It's very which, obvious. Which, which one of these belongs to which? <laughs> uh, I'm just going to try to answer truthfully here. Mm-hmm. I do all of these at different times. Yeah, I think the that's problem. the problem is that I I also do yeah. most of these what things. What kind of problem? Uh, yeah. Is it a problem with my friends? Then maybe I'll debate it with my friends. Is it is it a tiger? Then maybe I'll face it head on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if it's a tiger, I'm gonna hide. Well, right, but that of all, but that is facing it head on. That's yeah, not guess. doing any of the. You know what I, I mean? Guess. Like, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is that like it depends on the problem? Obviously, that's not the point. Um, I. <laughs> I'm going to say making a list of pros and cons, which is the option that evidence best supports. I think that's closest to like my, mm-hmm. do we want to read it? What say what we're going to say every time I mean, or not? We don't I, have I to, think, I, guess, I think we should. Okay. Um, I'm going to say creating a work of art that best expresses your feelings about the situation, because I think if I were working through something really tough, my tendency might be to like, write about it or like talk aloud to myself about it which is kind of like yeah (laughs) it's close yeah Uh, next question you most want your friends and family to see you as someone who is willing to make sacrifices and help anyone in need is liked by everyone is trustworthy will protect them no matter what happens and offers wise advice uh this one's the easier to me. I'm just going to say is trustworthy. I think that's of those that one fits me the most. Um, I, I'm going to go with will protect them no matter what happens. If you had to select one of the following options as a profession, which one would you choose? Judge, firefighter, scientist, farmer, humanitarian. (laughs) Uh, incredible. Uh, it's, It's just incredible. Um, of those, I I would say, I mean, I did at one point was going to go to school to be a chemist, but there's a reason I'm not a chemist right now. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I think that the job that I would choose if I had to pick from one of these would honestly be humanitarian. I think that. It would I mean that could mean a lot of things. That's what I and was I gonna say. I think is, is interesting it. about this one is that you have four like very specific kind of specific jobs. things, and then, and then humanitarian. Nice. Yeah, I, but but that, and, that, and that's why I picked it. Honestly, I'm yeah. gaming the system here a little bit and saying that like maybe I could be a, a humanitarian documentary. Like I can film. <laughs> like I can do something in my wheelhouse that is humanitarian or something i don't know i did used to be a teacher that's kind of like being humanitarian what activity would you most likely find yourself doing on an unexpected off day rock climbing or skydiving volunteering reading of course sharing opinions with your friends something artistic painting dancing or writing Uh, for me it's going to be something artistic painting dancing or writing or reading i 
I could go either way on that. <laughs> I share opinions with my friends. That's such all a weird day way. Long yeah. Such a weird. My friends be like, "What is wrong what with are you her?" Doing? Yeah, it leave us say, alone. I feel like it should say like, "Hang out with your yeah, friends." Yeah, right. But, uh, so I, yeah, I'm gonna go something artistic, just from the sense of like, I, you know, I do fair amount of side things that mm -hmm. are fairly expressive and artistic. But yeah, um, I guess I'll go with reading. I, I could have also easily gone with reading, but <laughs> or, or some, you know, assuming that means anything kind of like reading, maybe. But yeah, when choosing your outfit for the day. You select whatever will attract the least amount of attention, something that will not distract or inhibit you from what you have to do that day, something comfortable but interesting to look at, whatever will attract the most attention, or something that's simple but still expresses your personality. So originally I was going to say uh, something that's simple but still expresses your personality, but I actually think... <sighs> What maybe is more true, because I think it's got a broader meaning, is something that will not distract or inhibit you from what you have to do that day. I do dress a lot based on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But that also can mean I feel like I think you could also apply that to like. If you're like dressing nicely for something, because then it's not distracting or inhibiting from you going to like a nice function. Like, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean or were it like accurately <laughs> interpreted by this quiz. Don't think that necessarily means that you just like only wear like very utilitarian clothes. I think that is kind of what maybe the, the quiz is going to interpret that as mm -hmm. maybe. But I don't necessarily think that's but I also this is something comfortable. But in stream looking, I saw the same thing. But I'm going to go with that one because I think it's I don't know. I think it's an interesting answer that kind of is true. Mostly true. I, although three of those I could have picked. I, think, um, so. I do kind of dress to get attention. Yes, you do. I just picked that one. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the call out. No, you're good. If you discovered that a friend's significant other was being unfaithful, you would tell your friend ASAP. You can't imagine keeping that knowledge secret. Confront the cheater. Sit them both down and act as a meteor while they talk it over. Keep it to yourself. Statistics prove uh, your friend will find out eventually. Tell your friend it's unhealthy for them to be in a relationship where such selfish behavior is present. The first one and the last one are the same answer. Yeah, right. I, they're, I don't, the same they're the exact answer. same answer. answer. Uh, uh, yeah. I, don't. I mean. Uh, but they're just they're just the same answer, but for two different, clearly two different. The top one is the freaking uh, truth teller one. Right. And the bottom one is the the whatever the abnegation or whatever because they're uh yeah i think uh, that would be my guess at least I, i'll go with the first one tell your friend asap you can't imagine keeping that knowledge secret i i, I can't imagine keeping yeah, that knowledge yeah. secret. i would for me it would either be the first one or the second one to confront the cheater although it wouldn't be confront the cheater so much as talk to the cheater and try to convince them to which i guess is confronting them yeah maybe but i might consider that i don't know depending on the situation see i i would never go to talk to that person before i talked to my friend never that's fair that's fair i can see that yeah i guess it depend on i guess i was thinking it would depend on like that would make me feel so complicit in telling them to in like to, in like going to talk to that person without like telling my friend it would make me feel like it's not a rational feeling i guess but it would make me feel like i was like 
part of the secret, I guess. I would. Oh, I, would, I see what you're saying. I would never ever go and talk to my friend's cheating spouse before I talked to my friend. I would go with my friend to confront them. Okay. And I would be a great hype man for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I, I definitely think I would just, I would just tell my friend. I yeah. Don't, I, I think there's maybe some specific scenarios where I could see, but it, I, yeah. What would you say is your highest priority in life right now? Success in work or school, finding peace and happiness for yourself, seeking truth in all things, serving those around you, or developing strength of character. Finding peace and happiness. For yeah, yourself. That's, that's, the, that's the obvious that's answer, it. right? That's the answer. Oh, it's calculating my results. Da, 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 da. I'm in candor. Uh, I'm in amity. You're honest with everyone, no matter how difficult it is. That's not true at all. I don't. <laughs> and no matter how much trouble it gets you into, not even remotely true. Not at all. Uh, you believe that if everyone could be honest and forthright, the world would be a much better place. I mean, that to some extent, yes, I do think I am fairly honest with most people most of the time. I just I don't think I'm to the level that this. Yeah, this, this I mean, this of, seems yeah, pretty extreme. They're very extreme. Yeah, I, I am a fan of honesty, but I, I don't know if it fits more than other things. But anyways, maybe it does, because I don't think I fit in any of them particularly specifically. Right. So, which I think sure. is the point it is the point. Yes, obviously. Um, OK, so uh, you would be an Amity. You are at peace when the people around you are getting along. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unlike other people. <laughs> Um, you appreciate music and the arts. That's certainly true. You believe that aggression and hostility are to blame for most of the world's problems. Incorrect. I believe that the aggression and hostility are a result of other problems. Uh, others see you as sometimes flaky or indecisive, but also as easygoing and warm. There you go. Cool. That does I mean, seem like the most chill faction, yeah. I gotta say. Yeah, no, it's the based one. Based on what I've read so far. It's the one to be in for sure. They, it seems like the Hobbit faction. Yes. All right, let's do the other one real quick, the BuzzFeed one real quick. Uh, we'll try to slam through yeah, it a little quicker. Hell yeah, BuzzFeed. Because this one looks, I, I'm on the first question, and this might not be in the same order, so. Okay. Uh, what is yours? Oh, uh, what color okay, do you yes, wear most? Is. All right, so what color do you wear most? Black, red, white, blue, gray, whatever's cheapest. Uh <laughs> I wear black. I think I wear blue like more than black, time. probably, but I also wear black a lot, but I'm yeah. going to say blue. Pick a phone app. Text, Instagram, Google, Facebook, quiz up, or weather. Of these, I'll say... Yeah, <laughs> the weather. Of these, I'll say instagram but yeah it's I, that or google i guess because i don't really care I that much about Instagram. any of the other ones I, a text i mean i text people sure but it's not so there we go okay <laughs> great next one <laughs> what do you value most selflessness kindness revenge honesty <laughs> bravery intelligence um i i actually um, i'm gonna say kindness i do think that's probably i would also say honesty would be close but i'm gonna say kindness yeah What's your sin? Yes. <laughs> Gluttony, pride, sloth, envy, greed, or wrath? Uh, for me, it's 100% sloth. I can be very lazy. Um, I think that most of these apply to me. <laughs> but I'm going to go with wrath because I think it's the one that applies to me that has the most potential to hurt people other than myself. Oh, okay. Interesting. And I think that's worse. Yeah. No, that's fair. Pick a TV show. 
<laughs> Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Law and Order, Girls, Revenge, or I Don't Watch TV. <laughs> okay, well, of these, it's got to be Game of Thrones for yeah, me. I, I, despite the final season and a half or whatever, but it is what it is. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, Breaking Bad's a great show, but it's I'm not picking. I, I, I watched it once. I'm good. Um, it's an excellent show, but yeah, I'm picking Game of Thrones. Uh, what are you guilty of? Telling lies to make people feel better, being blunt, acting before thinking, spending more time at your job than with friends, quitting too easily, or putting others' needs before yourself. For me, it's quitting too easily. That goes in yeah, line I with the sloth. That's what it is for me, too. What's your dream job? Lawyer? I just want a job. <laughs> Volunteer work? Doctor, police officer, or astronaut? Okay, so assuming when it says dream job here, it's kind of like if I if I were like if the, I could like snap the my platonic fingers, ideal, yeah, and like just become job. this thing. Yeah, I think the thing I would love to do most, I would love to be an astronaut. I think that'd be sick as hell. Uh -huh. um, but like more realistically, I just want a job. Well, that's not true. I in our current uh, financial uh, system, I just want a job. I don't think I would just want a job in a in a system where I didn't have to, you yeah, know, wasn't forced to work by the the chains of capitalism. But I'm yeah. gonna pick astronaut because, like, again, just kind of like I think that I wanted I went, wanted to go to space camp as a right. kid. The right, idea of being right. an astronaut was like a thing that blew my mind, and I still really think is cool. So, um, I do not dream of labor. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want a job. But I think but. I, I think in an ideal world, I would be doing something where I wasn't worried about like making rent constantly. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with volunteer work. Yeah, I think that's fair. Pick your poison: beer, water, wine, tea, shots, or coffee. Well, say it says poison. Not what is it? To me, that implies like vice, but I, yeah. that can't be what it means because water is on there, which is not. I drink more water than anything. I drink <laughs> so much water all the time. Um, but I, I'm going to say beer because I think that would be like more in line with maybe what the question is asking. Mm -hmm. I, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to go coffee. Okay. Because I probably do drink too much coffee. Pick a superpower, shapeshift, influencing minds, super strength, teleportation, healing powers, read minds. Uh, well, some of those sound terrible. Influencing <laughs> minds and read minds, and no thank you. Super strength would be fine. Shapeshift would be fun. Healing powers, cool. Teleportation, super cool. This is tough because the easy one's not in there. I want to fly. Uh, you know, that's, that one's not there, so that makes it hard. I think I would go with... I think I might go with shapeshift. I think oh, that would that, just be that one's easy for me. Shapeshift. Yeah, I think that would just be super cool. Um, a teleportation is really appealing just because I like the idea of just being able mm -hmm. to go anywhere instantly for free, uh, without getting into like, the the problem, like the teleporter problem and stuff from Star Trek about like <laughs> is it still you if you're blah blah blah. I'm assuming a magic type of teleportation where it that, mm -hmm. that philosophical problem is not there. But even still, I think I would go with shapeshift. So. Pick a phrase you say the most. You look so nice. I dare you. I knew that. I know you're lying. Can you help me or need help? Which one of these embodies your your psyche? Any of them? <laughs> I will say I knew that fairly often, but not like out loud. I'll, like a lot of times I'll be like, 
oh, I knew that. Like I mm-hmm. like I'll be doing something and I'll be like, what is the? Oh, I knew that. Like when I, or yeah. like uh, it feels like a different thing than what's being. Implied yeah, I think this here, is implying though. like I knew that. Like a very like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Like really a defensive like a defensive. Kind of. I knew yeah. that, which is not what. But then again, none of these other ones. Um, I tell you, you look nice pretty often. I don't maybe more than any <laughs> of these other things. I would say. Uh. Again, I think I knew that is literally maybe the most accurate answer, but I'm going to say you look so nice because I, I don't I, I've never said I know you're lying or I dare you. And then can you help me and need help? I probably say equally ish. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, this is the last one, by the way. Okay. I just got my results. <laughs> Which I don't understand I like how I, I got this. I dare you is something I think to myself a lot. Yeah. I don't know if I say that a lot. I'll go with, can you help me? I feel like I'm always asking for help. <laughs> okay, where, where'd you get sorted? I got dauntless, I got dauntless too. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't feel like any of the... I feel like, I don't feel like, I'm trying to go back. Okay, so you look so nice. Can't be dauntless. Mm. Shapeshift, maybe? maybe. Beer, probably. Beer was probably astronaut. I guess would have been one. Yeah, maybe. I don't think quitting too easily would have been. No. Oh, I guess Game of Thrones might be dauntless, <laughs> yeah, which is dumb. I don't buy that at all. Uh, Sloth would not be dauntless. Oh, I bet Wrath did it for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I could see I have three maybe that yeah. would that would fit that. Oh, and I also you said, did black uh, yeah, I said I wear black. On that. So I think we just probably had slightly like a like like one more that fit Dauntless than mm-hmm. any other. We probably had like three Dauntless answers and like two of everything else. So it was like, well, you're Dauntless. I feel like in the spirit of the books, these quizzes should tell you if you get equal answers. From yeah, more than it really one. should. It really should. I want to know if I'm divergent. Yes. Uh, we're definitely divergent. We know we're <laughs> all over the map on this, which again is, uh, has to be the point of the book because that's its name. So, <laughs> speaking of that book, now you know where I I'm either candor or dauntless according to those two quizzes, which mm. I don't think either of those are accurate. But and you're um, either I'm amity. either amity or dauntless, which feel like feels, opposites. Uh, I think that actually might maybe not. I don't know. That could be in the ballpark for you. But <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I am really cool and tattooed. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Uh, let's now learn a little bit about the book Divergent. You nervous? For you? For your test? No. I was terrified. The only way our society can survive is for each of you to claim your rightful place. Today, you will take a test that will help you discover who you truly are. The future belongs to those who know where they belong. You ready? This was supposed to tell me what to do. We're supposed to trust the test. test didn't work on you. They call it Divergent. Published in 2011, Divergent is the debut novel of American author Veronica Roth. 
Uh, the novel is the first in the Divergent series, a trilogy of young adult dystopian novels that also includes a book of short stories. Roth wrote Divergent while working on a creative writing degree at Northwestern University. Uh, she initially began writing the novel from For slash Tobias's point of view before eventually reworking it to be from Triss's point of view. The novel is set in a post-apocalyptic Chicago, although Roth has indicated that this was not her original intent, stating, quote, I wrote the rough draft and I felt like it needed a more grounded sense of place, and I looked at the city I had described, which is all these trains constantly moving and this lake marsh and these rivers, and I realized that it was Chicago already, and it was just because that's the city I've known and loved the longest. The novel tackles common young adult themes such as identity, adult authority, and coming of age, as well as common themes in dystopian literature such as the exploration of social structure and the effects of violence and fear. Though the novel does not maintain overtly Christian themes, some readers place the novel's themes within that context due to Roth's open declaration of her religion as a Christian. Um, in the acknowledgement sections in the book, Roth emphasized her Christian faith, um, writing, quote, Thank you, God, for your son and for blessing me beyond comprehension. So this has brought about commentary for many different groups, both Christian and not um, positive and negative from both sides. Huh. Uh, for example, when reviewing the novel for the Christian ministry uh, Breakpoint, Sherry Early described Roth as a Christian and the novel setting as, quote, post-feminist, maybe even Christian, okay. <laughs> which I kind of love. Okay. Um, uh, she also said that though the novel is not overtly Christian, it follows a Christian point of view um, because it, quote, fights against the restrictions placed upon her by a controlling and totalitarian state. I get what you're saying, but also you don't own that, Christians. That is... <laughs> Throwing off the shackles of your oppressors, I get it. Like, I get where you're coming from. Also, not remotely modern Christianity no, in America in the slightest. Not even a little. Not even a little bit. But also, you know, that's that's just like a very comp. That's like mm -hmm. the most base common human uh, <laughs> thing, maybe. <laughs> it's like a lust for freedom and uh, individuality and yeah, uh, a, a desire to not be under a... Uh, authoritarianism yeah. yeah um most of the like poll quotes and stuff that i saw um from like christian commentators it basically boiled down to well she's a christian and the books are kind of christian but it's like not christian enough yeah for us yeah we'll see we're we're yeah, both we'll, only like 100 pages yeah in, we're, so. we're not super far into it yet we'll we'll see how we end up yeah reading we may that. agree and be like oh yeah some christian stuff <laughs> but yeah we'll see um, but on the other side of the aisle, a reviewer, David Edelstein, um, writing for Vulture, also noted the novel's Christian undertones, um, observing the book's treatment of intellectuals as following a tendency in larger Christian culture to question intellectual pursuit, particularly of the sciences, um, noting that the intellectual erudite faction are largely depicted as control-hungry villains pitted against the more conservative coded abnegation faction, which is depicted as righteous and merciful. Yeah. Um, all that aside, in a more general sense, Divergent received mostly positive reviews upon publication. Uh, in a review for the New York Times, Susan Dominus wrote that it was, quote, rich in plot and imaginative details, but also compared it to other such books in the same genre as The Hunger Games, um, and said that it did not exactly distinguish itself. 
That's fair. Uh, similarly, um, critiquing, critiquing the, quote, simplistic, color-coded world, booklist reviewer Daniel Krauss still positively concluded that the novel was full of, quote, gutsy action and romance and called it a spin on Brave New World. Um, which is, that is interesting because I had not thought about that, but it, yeah. it, I think you could read it as a spin on Brave New yeah, World. like a very, yeah, a <laughs> YA, you know. Yeah. If I was a really di- if I was a really disingenuous Twitter poster, I would see that review and be like, f- blow up about this idiot reviewer comparing Divergent <laughs> to Brave New World and saying what an idiot they are, when clearly they're just pointing out the fact that they share a little bit of similarities and like the setting and what's going on, and not in fact comparing. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> mad at Twitter people always. Uh, the book debuted at number six on the New York Times Children's Chapter Books bestseller list uh, in May of 2011, and it remained on the list for 11 weeks. Uh, Divergent also won Favorite Book of 2011 in the Goodreads Reader Choice Awards, and it won the Senior Category of the 2014 Young Readers Choice Award. Uh, it was also number one in the Teens Top Ten Vote um, in a contest sponsored by Yalsa. Interesting. All right. There you go. That's a little bit about the book, Divergent. Now let's learn a little bit more about the film, Divergent. You can't let them find out about you. They're always watching. You have to hide or they'd never expect to find you. Welcome to Dullness. Two stages of training. The first is physical. Push your bodies to the breaking point. You're never gonna win. I like that. It's good to know. Keep tension here, okay? The second is mental. Face your worst fears and conquer them. You made a mistake choosing Thomas. We'll find out about you. I know what you are. It's been a long time since I could trust anyone. I don't want to be just one thing. I want to be brave and selfless and intelligent and honest and kind. If you want to survive, follow me. Divergents threaten the system. It won't be safe until they're removed. We have to fight back. Ready. Divergent is a 2014 film directed by Neil Berger, who's known for The Illusionist, The Upside, Limitless, an interview with The Assassin, among other things, and written by Evan Darty, uh, who wrote uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the 2014 one, Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, Tomb Raider 2018, among other things, and also co-written by Vanessa Taylor, uh, who did three pretty good episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, also was a co-writer uh, on The Shape of Water, uh, and co-writer on Hillbilly Elegy, which is apparently terrible from what I've heard. Mm. Um, well, it was actually nominated for some awards, but it's a lot of people do not like it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the film stars Shailene Woodley, Theo James, Ashley Judd, Jai Courtney, Ray Stevenson, Zoe Kravitz, Miles Teller, Tony Goldwyn, Maggie Q, Mackay Pfeiffer, Ansel Elgort, and Kate Winslet. So quite the cast. Mm. It's pretty wild. And some of them, people that went on, not maybe not went on to do some, yeah, anyways. Uh, Ansel Elgort, Miles Teller, and Zoe Kravitz were very surprising to me. Had no idea 
those are three very big names now. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea they were in this series. <laughs> so <laughs> the film has 41% on Rotten Tomatoes, 48 on Metacritic, and a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. So not particularly well viewed. And it made 288.9 million against a budget of 88 million. Mm. Uh, wasn't really nominated and didn't really win many awards other than some Teen Choice Awards. Uh, so, uh, getting into the production, Summit Entertainment bought the rights to the book uh, in March 2011, which was one month before the book actually released. So they brought it, bought the rights before the book came out. Uh, Neil Berger was then brought on to direct, while Evan Doherty and Vanessa Taylor were brought on to write within over the course of the next year. Uh, Doherty would say of the screenplay, I get hung up on the toughness of the movie, but of equal importance is the love story between Triss and Four. It's inherently and inextricably linked to Triss's character journey. There will be plenty of sexual tension and chemistry, but it's important that all of the stuff doesn't just feel like it's thrown in, but that it all helps Triss grow as a character. He went on to say, It's tricky because the book is a very packed read with a lot of big ideas, so distilling that into a cool, faithful two-hour movie is challenging. Not only do you have to establish five factions, but you have to acknowledge that there's a sixth entity, which is the Divergent, and you also have the factionless. So there's a world that really has to be built out for the big screen. The movie is going to do a little more. The movie is going to do it a little more efficiently. Uh, Veronica Roth, after reading the script, would say of it, "Quote." Reading a script is a really interesting experience. I've never read a script before. I was really impressed by how closely it stuck to the general plotline of the book. End quote. And I just have to say, <laughs> these were all back to back to back in the Wikipedia article. And I could not get over how generic these comments were. Yes. <laughs> it's like none of them even understood what it's it, almost like they're, they're AI not generated. They're really saying anything. Yeah, they're not saying anything. The, 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 it's tricky because it's packed and there's a lot of big ideas. And so distilling it into a two hour movie that not only do you have to. Yeah, he's man. Just, he's just saying not only do I have to do we have to do the whole plot of this movie. We also we also have to, have to world build do what? the whole plot of the movie and it's like yeah you have to yeah, write it you're just saying you have yeah, to write the script I don't understand it's and it, it's like it it's such surface level nothingness hmm. that it's like I'm like what is this uh, there's plenty there'll be plenty of sexual tension and chemistry but it's important that that stuff doesn't feel thrown in that it all helps her grow as a kid. Yeah, man. This is this baby's first writing course. What are we? <laughs> it, it just—it's all so like surface level and weird. And I love—I love Veronica Ross. I was really impressed by how closely it stuck to the general plot line of the book. That's a nothing statement. That's a nothing. That's like watching a, a movie and being like, I really appreciated how the film played for the length of the film. I, like what? I yes. I, I don't. <laughs> It's just nothing. I, uh, anyways, I'm sorry. I read those and I was like, does anybody who worked on this movie have anything interesting to say about this movie or is it all just that? Because <laughs> that does not get me excited from <laughs> watching this film. Uh, in October of 2012, Shailene Woodley was announced as Triss, and according to IMDb, she was the only actress considered for the part uh, and nobody else even auditioned. Hmm. Um, but a lot of people were considered for the role of Tobias, uh, which is four. Uh, other actors included Lucas Till, Jack Rayner, Jeremy Irvine, Alex Pettifer, Brenton Thwaites, Alexander Ludwig, and Luke Bracey. Uh, I clicked through these people, and I, I don't recognize any of their names I've other than Jack Rayner and Alex Pettifer, I think. Yeah. 
Um, but I clicked through and I recognized a lot of them just like from things. Uh, mm-hmm. Alexander Ludwig is, um, or Ludwig, I don't know, uh, is he was in Vikings. He's one of, um, uh. Uh, what's his name? Sons. Yeah. Uh, like when they're grown up. Uh, he was also in the Hunger Games. He was one of the other champ, like one oh. of the other contestants. Hmm. Um, but he's been in lots of stuff. Uh, and and a handful of the other people I'd seen and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, uh, in March 2013, Theo James uh, ended up being announced in the role, which is kind of interesting because James is 10 years older than the character he was portraying when he was cast. But despite that, uh, Veronica Roth praised his casting, saying, quote, I was sure within seconds this was four. No question. Theo is able to capture Four's authority and strength as well as his depth and sensitivity, end quote. Uh, and Theo James, if you don't know who that is, um, where I recognized him from is we, we watched White Lotus not too long ago. Mm-hmm. He's in the second season of White Lotus. He's the uh, boyfriend of the um, the like ditzy girl, like the two couples. Uh, yeah, not um, not uh, Audrey Plaza or Aubrey Plaza's boyfriend. Oh, the other couple. He's the guy the, that like, I jockey thought. Yeah, yeah, guy. yeah. He was the guy that I thought was going to be a Franco, but then he wasn't. Yes. Okay. That's Theo James. And he was great in that show. Yeah. He's great as that kind of jerky, brash character. So I could see him fitting potentially. I, again, I don't know much of four. I've only seen him for a few chapters and chapters are four pages long in these books. So I have like, I don't know if you noticed, my notes are, are it's like I have like two notes a chapter. Yeah, they're so, they're so short. So short. <laughs> uh, but Kate Winslet was cast as uh, uh, Julianne, I believe is her name, uh, who's one of the like the erudite evil lady or whatever mm-hmm. um and she she was interviewed and asked about playing a, an evil or bad character for the first time and apparently this is the first time and kate Winslet said quote i'm no idiot the idea went through my head that i've never played a baddie before i was almost kind of surprised end quote and i said hard disagree kate you're a baddie in every movie <laughs> moving on <laughs> Uh, so filming began in Chicago on April 16th, 2013 and concluded on July 16th of 2013. Uh, virtually all production took place in Chicago. Uh, so many of the interior locations were at the Cinespace Chicago Films film studios, uh, but they shot some parts of the choosing ceremony at the 17th church, uh, 17th church of Christ science scientist, which is a, a Christian scientist church in mm-hmm. ch- downtown Chicago. Uh, with the outdoor shots for that taken at Pioneer Court, which I assume is near Willis Tower or whatever, because mm-hmm. that's where the, that's where yeah, the choosing they, happens they in talk the book. About it yeah. specifically. Uh, they also filmed at the Navy Pier Ferris Wheel, uh, but they turned the whole uh, like treated the whole area with dirt and stuff to make it look aged and old. Uh, they also shot at Fifty Seventh Street in Ellis near the University of Chicago, at Federal Street near the L tracks. Uh, and at Michigan Avenue, they also filmed some scenes at the University of Chicago's Joe and Rika Mansueto Library. So there you go. Hmm. Apparently, there's a scene in the movie where Tris punches Peter uh, and uh, in the throat, and he makes a sound. That sound is genuine, according to this fun <laughs> fact. Uh, Woodley didn't want to hurt Teller as they were doing this, but as filming continued, uh, they got more and more aggressive. And during one take, Woodley actually hit him in the throat, which Teller wasn't expecting, and that this is apparently the take that they used in the movie. So the sound of him going right. like, or whatever is... Something to watch out for. Yes. Uh, also, according to IMDb, Theo James did all of his own fight stunts uh, and had no stunt double on the film, which seems insane. I don't know if I believe it, but <laughs> maybe there's not that much. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's not anything particularly crazy, but... 
uh, and Kate Winslet was five months pregnant during filming. Uh, so keep a lookout for all the classic hiding a pregnancy filming <laughs> techniques. It, it'll be like watching season five of New Girl. She just carries a giant tote bag just the entire movie. a giant tote movie. bag, a pillow, sits on couch. She always has a pillow on always her Always standing behind a counter. Yeah, counter, chest-high counters everywhere. <laughs> yeah, a refrigerator doors open whenever, you know, she's always talking from the refrigerator. Stuff like that. So, uh, so as I mentioned, the film got mixed reviews. Here are some of them. Bruce Dion's of The New Yorker called it, quote, barely diverting, end quote. <laughs> uh, Jordan Adler of We Got This Covered said, quote, it was a plotting and generic dystopian drama. Uh, comparisons to other franchises were also popular amongst critics. Andrew Barker of Variety said, quote, unlike the Harry Potter series tangible, fully dimensional Hogwarts or the Hunger Games colorfully variegated districts, Divergence vision of New Chicago doesn't have much to distinguish it from a standard issue post-apocalyptic pick. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone wrote, quote, at least the Hunger Games spawned two terrific movies and a breakthrough star in Jennifer Lawrence. On-screen divergence ignites only indifference. Uh, Peter DeBrew of Variety considered it actually a much better adaptation, writing, quote, Although it shares a fair amount of DNA in common with the Hunger Games, it ranks as far superior. According to Tony Gil, uh, Todd Gilcrest of the playlist, quote, Woodley makes far more uh, Woodley makes for more than uncertain enough of a hero to add detail and meaning to the implosion of this world. Adding, quote, there's little artifice to her performance, and the mundane honesty of her actions create a believability that the world would otherwise lack. Uh, on Theo James's performance, Gilcrest said, quote, he manages the considerable accomplishment of seeming like a real grown-up man, end quote, and then he, which he was, he was 10 years older than his character, but anyways, uh, and quote, he makes the character's transformation from hard-ass to collaborator seem natural, if inevitable. Drew McWeeny at HitFix said, quote, it helps that they got Woodley and James in the leads. Woodley's like a walking empathy battery, wide open emotionally, easy to read and enormously appealing. Also adding that James is, quote, incredibly natural on screen. Uh, Orlando Weekly's Sam Allard gave the film a three out of five rating, praising Shailene Woodley's performance. But he said, quote, she uh, uh, by saying, quote, she rescues and then raises up a film that could have been an utter disaster, end quote. Michelle O'Sullivan of the Washington Post uh, thought the film was actually better than the book, saying, quote, it's a rare movie that is as good as the book on which it's based. It's even more unusual when it's better, end mm. quote. Uh, Scott Mendelson of Forbes magazine echoed these sentiments, arguing that despite uh, Woodley's excellent performance, quote, the generic story reduced a large portion of the mythology to irrelevancy, end quote. Uh, and he believed that the film would please the novel's fan base. Uh, so obviously the thing that I saw most commonly in reviews was praise for the acting, particularly Shailene Woodley and Christine Lemire, who was writing for RogerEbert.com, agreed with the sentiment saying, quote, the performances, namely from stars Shailene Woodley, Theo James and Kate Winslet in a juicy supporting role, always make the movie watchable and often engaging. End quote. Right. So uh, mixed reviews, but the yeah. performances are supposed yeah. to be good. Well, so I mean, we'll we've gotten we've got a couple comments um, already on social media talking about the movies being bad. But I, after last summer, yeah, I <laughs> surely nothing. Yeah, I'm sure they'll could be fine. Be worse. I'm sure than last be, summer I'm summer really series. Wildly fine. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, neither of us are very far into this movie. Um, but I did want to mention because I do think this is kind of a funny story. That I had previously read at least part of Divergent yes. once before, um, like closer to around when it came out. Um, but I read it 
laying on my mom's couch running like a 101 degree fever and yeah. hopped up on cold medicine. So I genuinely do not know how much of my memories of this book are real. That's fair. And what is a fever dream? We will find out. We will we, find out. We will find out as we finish it. So yeah, like I said, I'm about 100 pages in and it's fine so far. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I, I don't dislike it, but it's it's just kind of... Just kind of seeing where we're going, just building the world, and it's, yeah, it's fine so far. But yeah, uh, I have zero, zero expectations, so surely, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, as always, you can follow us on all the social media platform, flat, uh, platforms. Just go find us there, you know, that stuff. You can also drop us reviews on anywhere you're listening to the show. We'd really appreciate that. And as always, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Katie, where can people watch Divergent? Um, well, you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one. Uh, otherwise, you can stream this with a subscription to HBO Max, DirecTV, or Cinemax, or you can rent it for around $4 from Amazon, Apple TV, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, or DirecTV. There you go. That's it for this prequel episode. Go read and watch Divergent and join us back here one week when we're going to see what this whole deal is yeah <laughs> dive in head first we're gonna jump off that building into that black <laughs> hole abyss uh we have to jump off the l train first yeah. don't we yeah, jump off the l train then we gotta jump off the building into the black hole uh without knowing what awaits us uh but yeah that'll be next week and until that time guys gals non-binary pals and everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and keep being awesome